It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a very pleasant good afternoon and early evening to you. Welcome to the Thursday edition of Lifeline for August the 2nd. Trust you're having a great day today. We've lined up a great show to accompany your wind down into your Thursday evening. Coming up a little bit later on tonight, we'll continue our multi-part series on parenting. Vern Tyler from the Hosanna Parenting Project will join us once again this evening at 6 o'clock. I'll also mention we're working on a brand new series that's um, um, beyond the development stage is actually in the can, as the saying goes, and uh, we're kind of doing the post-production finishing touches on it. We're looking forward to starting a, a series on careers. What does it mean to discover your career as a young person? How do you get started? How do you determine your vocation or your calling? How do you make a career change later on in life? What if your career is one that either left you meaning you've been downsized or your job is soon to be extinct? How do you kind of refire your career later on in life? All those questions and more are going to be answered in depth. We've got a whole series planned for you, along with a panel of experts that will be discussing many of these aspects about jobs, career, the working world, the future of work, and all that. That'll be coming up beginning in, I think, the first Thursday in September, and we get past the... uh, Labor Day weekend. Anyway, that's what's coming up later on tonight. Coming up right now, we're joined once again in studio with Pastor Clay Allen. Clay, of course, is the founder and president of Avenue, a sexual restoration ministry. He founded along with his wife, Susan. Clay, once again, welcome. Thank you, Craig. Joy to be here. We continue to talk about this issue of sexuality, and I'll mention once again that if parents have young ears within the room, might be a good time to busy them elsewhere. For everybody else, stay right where you're at, and if you know someone, maybe a friend, a family member, maybe a buddy or lady friend shared something kind of confidently with you about challenges that's going on within their relationship or themselves, might be a good time to pick up the phone or send them a quick text message and say, hey, tune in to kfax.com or AM 1100 in the San Francisco Bay Area, because what's about to be discussed can, in fact, help break the chains of bondage. And I guess in many respects, there's an aspect of what you call toxic sexuality, that is no different than bondage, and we're not talking about S&M here. We're talking about bondage in the sense that people get caught in a behavior or a lifestyle that maybe not initially, but soon thereafter, they recognize is destructive, destructive to their sense of well-being, destructive to their relationship, destructive to areas of, of real intimacy, But although they may recognize the impact and the destructiveness of the behavior, they're caught in this endless loop, and it's almost as if they're in a cycle that they can't escape. So let's talk about this cycle here, and I guess the the big question when we define toxic sexuality and how the cycle even begins, there's got to be some sort of a jumping on point. Where is that for a lot of people? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, first of all, let's define toxic sexuality for everyone who's listening, because I think that's really important to understand, which is any 
a misuse of sex outside the context of God's definition and purpose for it, which is, of course, procreation between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And God invented sex. God invented God's best sex. And most guys who are caught up in wrong things and misusing sex are completely clueless about what God's best sex is all about. So let's make sure we clarify this first. The second thing is what you said is so true. Uh, It is destructive. I would say that sexual uh, brokenness and the toxicity of uh, sexuality is that it affects their, themselves at a core. In other words, it's the self-identification of being having something terribly wrong with yourself if you're involved in some kind of behavior of misusing sex. And this gets developed um, in the cycle in such a way where uh, or typically early in life, there's a seed that gets planted. That's the first stage in the cycle. And uh, we're talking about where somebody might be exposed to pornography. They might uh, get involved with masturbation. They could be abused by somebody emotionally, physically, sexually. Uh, they could do experimentation. For some way, some reason, this has entered into their life and they've had an initial exposure of this toxic sexuality. And uh, they have an initial arousal to it, or, or, or it's been done to them, in other words. So the seed gets planted. Life goes on, and at some point they remember it, and they get desensitized to it. And this is the second stage where somebody actually gets bored with the original arousal, or, or the abuse becomes normalized. And this becomes very dangerous at this point because the next stage of this is when they escalate in the cycle meaning that they're seeking out the original arousal by doing something more frequent or more intense. And if you can imagine that God designed us to have a high, um, a mental and chemical physiological high when we have a sexual experience. In God's idea with a spouse, this is awesome. There is no low associated with it, God willing, uh, at that point. But when we misuse sex, Look In Romans 1, it says that we inherently know what is right and what is wrong. And so when we get involved in toxic sex or any kind of toxic sexual behavior and we hit that high, there's a corresponding low. And this is very important to understand because this corresponding low promotes the seeking of a new high in frequency or intensity. Now, let's differentiate for a moment that when you talk about the high – the corresponding low, and then the need often, the, the, the individual starts to seek more and more, much like the drug addict who is exposed to this degree of drugs, they get a high, they get satisfaction off of it, the next time they go to use again, it takes just a little bit more to achieve the same level, and right. it begins, the, 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 the sense um, of satisfaction begins to plateau and then taper off, and so you keep coming back and you keep requiring more and more. Same is true of toxic sexuality, but we differentiate between that and biblically normal, healthy sexuality, meaning that in the right context, there is the high, there is no low, because it's within God's design. That's right. And it's also, I want to say, selfless sex, servant sex, God's way. And you get so much more out of this than you could ever imagine. But when it's self-ish mm-hmm. and it's self-taking, it becomes something quite different. So when the person uh, escalates, the next stage in that uh, is it uh, uh, is actualization, where they actually have to 
act out a fantasy in order to experience this arousal. And this is where you see people get hurt. Uh, Kids get hurt. Ladies get hurt. Young men get hurt. It's terrible at this stage because all of a sudden they've become a user of other people, whether it involves pornography, whether it involves uh, physical contact, whether it's voice, whether it's sight. You know, there's many forms of this, but when it actualizes, this is when it gets really dangerous. It sounds like that shift to objectification is pretty sudden. It's pretty rapid. It is, and what's uh, fueled this and truncated it is the Internet. What used to take two, three, four decades to take place with print uh, materials, with pornography, has been truncated down to mere months, even weeks. We've seen even guys that are involved in things that would never occur in 20, 30 years down into weeks or months. So when a man is involved in this process and it continues to desensitize and escalate and actualize, this process can go on and on, but there's something very important about this cycle, which is a process that happens rapidly. It happens sometimes multiple times uh, a month or a week, sometimes even days. It can happen within multiple times a day, and that is the process. What is the process is that they, they come into this and they start to preoccupy. Uh, later in life, when they get involved in wrong things, sexually speaking, they start planning how they're going to do it. Where, how are they going to cover their tracks? Where are they going to get the money? How are they going to uh, cover that up? Which then reaps a ritual. They go somewhere. They talk to somebody. They get involved with somebody. They go onto the Internet, et cetera. That reaps then acting in or acting out. Now, we all kind of know acting out, but acting in is equal or worse than acting out, which is this uh, line in the sand. I'm not going to go beyond it. And, of course, they always do. This then, the, then we stay with the imagery of a, of a cycle or a yeah. cyclone in this case. That's right. That is rapidly moving. The longer that you are involved, if anybody uh, is from the center of the country and you've experienced tornadoes, things of this sort, uh, you know that the outside periphery, things move at a certain pace, a certain number of miles per hour. But the closer you get to the side, the center, the closer you get to the eye of the storm, the more rapidly things move, the more destructive they become. And the deeper in you get, the more difficult, too, it is, just like a cyclone or a tornado, to pull yourself from. You get pulled into that vortex, and before you know it, it creates an energy of its own, and it drags you so deeply in that now you're really stuck. I mean, for some people, it can be so destructive that traditional normal means, the old Nancy Reagan just say no, that approach becomes useless then, doesn't it? It does, because part of the high, if you wish, for a guy is the control aspect of this. So when he um, hits the point where he acts in or acts out, the acting in is, I can control this, I'm not going to go beyond this line, and he does, he then hits something called the shame grid. And and this, this is where... He, he no longer realizes he has control, and, he, and he's full of shame about what he's done. And he's very sad about it, and it's where this attitude – and by the way, the devil loves Christians who live in shame because what we're, what, what, how we got there is we're silent about the problem, which then leads to secrets, harboring secrets, which belong to God, of course. And then when we live in shame, we adopt this idea – and this is how it's different somewhat than other types of addictions, if you wish – is you adopt this self-attitude that you're somehow defective. And if you were to share what's going on with you in your life as a man or an impacted woman, 
somebody would look at you and say, I reject you. I don't want anything to do with you. There is something seriously wrong with you. And you believe this yourself. And when you believe this yourself, what happens is there is absolutely no motivation to go take a risk for Jesus. You can't hear the Holy Spirit. You can't respond to the Holy Spirit. And so the devil loves Christians who are acting this way uh, because they become ineffective. They become inauthentic. They have a double life. And they're trying real hard to keep that double life secret. Well, the good news in this is right after the shame grid, a guy is going to get tired. He always gets tired. And this happens multiple times during the cycle. And this is actually good news in a sense because when he gets tired, he goes in one of three directions. And uh, one of the directions, sadly, is he thinks he's in control. He goes back into it after he crosses that line. And, the, and, and, and there's tremendous pain at this point, uh, not just for others but for himself. And I would imagine along with that, even though he may have – talked himself into the notion that he's in control. The reality is the deeper in he gets, the more out of control he becomes. Yeah, no we're, doubt. We're, let's explore that a little bit deeper. We're going to take a brief time out, get you updated on some traffic. Pastor Clay Allen with us today in studio, founder and president of Avenue, a sexual restoration ministry. You can get information, by the way, on the web at avenue.works. If you think of the normal URL extension, .com, .net, .org, all that. Well, this is .works, W-O-R-K-S, Avenue. Works. You can also call toll-free 877-326-7000. That's 877-326-7000. We pause briefly for that traffic uptight, up, dip, dip, uptight update. Uh, you may be uptight about the update you're about to hear. <laughs> Michael Bennett's got the latest for you at 519. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Our conversation with Pastor Clay Allen continues. By the way, this is the uh, third in a multiple-part series. You can catch up with previous editions of our conversation uh, each and every Thursday, 5 p.m. So if you go back historically at the KFAX Lifeline podcast and you say, gee, uh, uh, what did I miss here? Well, it's it's precept upon precept, right? Building block upon building block. So we're in uh, episode number three. So if you go back uh, two weeks ago, uh, you'll be able to catch up again. Hour number one each Thursday. You'll see it um, annotated as such in the podcast page at kfax.com. All right, as we continue our conversation, let's talk about this this sense of not only, as you alluded to prior to the break, Clay, um, like the drug addict needing more and more to obtain the same level of satisfaction, uh, isn't there also a degree, and I would liken this to the young man who at the age of six or seven got on the Ferris wheel for the first time and went, wow, when they got up at the top and saw the skyline, thought, what a thrill. And by the time that same kid is now in his mid-teens, he wants to bungee jump off a bridge. And when he gets into his late teens and early 20s, he's skydiving out of airplanes, meaning that the escalation of the risk taken gets higher and higher because not only is there a greater degree of, of adrenaline rush, but also don't you give yourself the sense of, well, gee, if I could handle this and I handle that okay, I can go a little bit higher and handle that okay too, that there's a false sense of being in control? That's absolutely right. And uh, this is why when you see in historically and even in the current day, you see very famous people uh, doing things inappropriately sexually and you ask yourself the question, how in the world did this person get to that point? Uh, Bill Clinton was probably one of the more famous examples of that um, in, in the past. But, yes, absolutely. Being in control, the thrill, it's all part of it. And, and the, the reality is he's out of control. 
he's totally out of control, and he doesn't know it. He's, he's in this um, uh, mode of uh, not only denial, but he's in complete uh, de- – he's deceived his own mind. And, uh, and so wh- when he gets to the point of the, in this cycle and he hits this tired mode, it's, a, it's such an important part of it because when he hits that tired mode, I mentioned one of the three directions he goes in is uh, he thinks he's in control, and so he goes back into the cycle – but there's some guys who know going back into the cycle is just torturous. It's excruciating pain, and they don't want to inflict more pain on people or even themselves. They, they've just had it. So that's when they start considering or actually follow through with suicide. And you might think, that's extreme. And yes, it is extreme, but that's the type of torture that's involved with this uh, mentally, uh, 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 emotionally, uh, certainly sexually and spiritually. And I want to say there's one other place they look when they hit tired. And this is what the good news is. They look for a way out. And this is so incredible because this happens regularly. Many, many times they're hitting tired and then they're going to look for a way out. And this is where there's an open door to a person's soul for an op- and an opportunity for real breakthrough where God provides an avenue, if you wish, a way out. And this is where every Christian listening to this is ordained by God to show up on a white horse with the answer. Whether you're a parishioner or somebody uh, struggling with this yourself or a spouse uh, or a pastor or church leader – is to offer somebody a confidential way to get help so that they're not further shamed, but they can operate in a sense of grace and live the truth and get out of the cycle. Because everyone who's in this cycle who hits the tired grid, uh, and they all do, they're all looking for a way out. How do I get out of this? And how do I do it so I don't destroy everyone around me? Is this the alcoholic's equivalent of... Step one, admitting that you have a problem and meaning that there is a sweet spot, I'll call it. Um, In other words, let's say for a frustrated spouse who says, my goodness, I I, I know there's a problem between my husband and I. There are issues in relationship to our intimacy. I am aware that he is engaged in certain behaviors, be it pornography or what have you, but I can't get his attention. Is that because they're not at that tired low point in the cycle yet? And should that be encouraging then to the spouse to say, if you've tried to intervene before and your efforts have been rebuffed, that's likely because he just simply wasn't at the bottom of the cycle. But rest assured, he will come back around to that again, and that will be your opportunity. That will be your entree to be able to speak truth and hope to him. Yes, um, that's very true because a guy who will have his heart touched by the Lord about this topic many times, and he'll have an opportunity to respond he might even have a glimpse of what bottom looks like, uh, the, the ugly bottom, or maybe he's there. But at some point, he's going to want help. And her job in this process is to get equipped because she needs to know what questions to ask, what to do with the answers. Many women think they know, and uh, many of them are, f- are confused because they're asking the husband, are you doing this or that or the other thing? And they're getting lied to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she has a sense for being lied to. And my wonderful wife made this wonderful list of, uh, of signs of what is, is your husband in this? Uh, if you suspect, what are the, some of the outward signs, inward signs that are dead giveaways that he's in this cycle? Does it also help demonstrate where in the cycle he is? Uh, yes. In fact, you'll see that in the uh, cycle, things will get much more intense 
um, where it comes to how much time he's spending, for example, away from her or the family, unaccountable time. Uh, when it comes to finances, how much debt is involved in his life. Usually the higher the debt, the more he's involved in it. Uh, when it comes to things like emotions, uh, he's completely absent or checked out uh, in the this, in this, uh, center of this vortex, as you mentioned. Uh, when it comes to things like integrity, he won't be accountable for his time, his computer, um, his money. Um, he's hiding it. Uh, he's not being, uh, you know, allowing anybody to see his computers, phone records, and so forth. Do other things start to fall apart, too? In, in other words, if if you begin in this process of trying to be secretive over your activities, um, not only are you not going to be very accountable for your time, but I would wonder in terms of just layers of responsibility. I mean, is this going to start to impact not only your relationship at home, but your performance at work, things of that sort? Absolutely. In fact, he's spending a huge amount of his time mentally in the preoccupation stage of this entire cycle, trying to figure out how he's going to keep hidden what he's doing. That takes It's a robbing of his employer at that point. It's a robbing of his family. It's a robbing of himself. And, and the more he gets involved in it uh, physically, the more he's going to be absent from doing what he ought to be doing at his place of business, whether it's self-employed or he works for somebody else. It's an enormous financial cost associated so with it. sapping this. not only time and resources, but sapping energy, too. Huge amounts of energy, massive amounts of energy. And this is why creativity goes out the window. The more he gets into this uh, cycle, the less creative he becomes and the less prosperous he becomes. And so we help men reverse that by getting out of the vortex. And we help the women know how, through the Healing Choice program my wife wrote, uh, what in the world do you do when you find out that your husband or you suspect your husband is in this vortex? Oftentimes confronting him is only going to make him mad and, mm-hmm. and, and make him lie more and get more deceptive. And so what do you do as a woman? How do you help her? There's also a big disconnect here. Is there not, Clay? The disconnect in the sense that, and we hear, we hear this this uh, very tired reasoning every once in a while. It's often in the media referred to as well if a man is going out and and is taking advantage of prostitutes. Well, it's it's a victimless crime, as if to suggest that uh, if you don't know or you're not directly involved, you're not going to be hurt. Is there a lot of that mentality too that men live under the the false pretense that well. Even if at a level I acknowledge that this is not good, that this is not healthy, but my wife doesn't know about it, therefore I'm really only hurting myself. I acknowledge that I'm hurting, but I'm convincing myself that it's not as bad as it could be because I'm only hurting, quote-unquote, myself. What about that? Yeah, that's exactly right. And you're hitting on something that's huge as far as living in shame. Uh, When we live in shame, especially as a man, and in this uh, cycle of toxicity of sexuality, we literally become the devil's secret agent. And I mean that with all sincerity because what ends up happening is as you spend time, as you spend money and effort and so forth on wrong things sexually, you're fueling a massive industry. Uh, whether it's uh, 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 trafficking, human trafficking, whether it's pornography, whether it's whatever. It's an enormous, enormous cost to, to us individually as well as our culture. And we're fueling it by being the devil's secret agent. And most guys don't even have a clue about that. And it, it transfers into other things that God wants him to experience, primarily his intimate relationship with him, 
his intimate relationship with his wife or future wife, his kids or future kids. This is so important because as the callousness around his heart develops, he starts not to feel because he's got so much pain in his life. He wants to anesthetize through this activity and think that he's achieving something. You know, we all grew up, I grew up in sports and business. And, you know, we were taught, you know, get the girl, right, in school and, and in sports. And that was that was the M.O. of, of masculinity. But, you know, there's, uh, there's another way to do this uh, called life, and uh, it's Jesus' way. And uh, when we learn what it is that really – helps us reverse out of this, we start to experience this abundant life, this incredible life that's waiting for us that uh, fulfills us, gives us significance. It gives us uh, so much in our life that we can give it away to others. This is how God wants us to live. And that man who is in this vortex of this cycle is living a life of scarcity. And he doesn't realize it at that point, how he's getting ripped off from God's purpose and destiny for his life. And at some point, The intervention is going to happen. (laughs) And not only, I might add, not only how he is getting ripped off, but subsequently is also ripping off others. Because if you're missing out on intimacy with your spouse, well, guess what? Your spouse is missing out on intimacy with you. And if you're not connecting with your kids because you don't have time, your kids are also being deprived of the richness of that relationship that they should have. But dad is either emotionally and mentally disconnected because he's got this other thing going on that he's trying so hard to hide from everybody, or he's simply more absent because he's so busy hiding things or engaging in the behavior and continuing the cycle. So this this notion of it only being me as the perpetrator and victim is, is really a lie of the devil. It is. And if he really knew how many people he was hurting and how severely he was hurting them, uh, he would be completely stunned. And this is one of the things we help men understand, that as he takes responsibility for stewarding his family or future family, he becomes a shield, an armor protector of his kids, his wife, so that they don't have this impact their lives. I mean, nobody starts out wanting to go into the cycle. I mean, we all start out as little kids, right, wanting to be a superhero, wanting to be a person growing up with hopes and dreams and aspirations. And what happens is temptation or I would even call it hyper-toxic sexuality starts to impact and permeate our life because it's around us everywhere. And as that happens, it starts to rob us. It robs us of, you know, having that life we want to live. It, you know, we feel cheated. We feel hurt. We feel unfulfilled. And li- literally, secretly and desperately, we're living a life of loneliness. That's what it really comes down to. You talk about a guy getting ripped off and he rips off his wife with intimacy and his kids. What about his friends? How many guys have deep conversations about how what's really going on in their life? I would say virtually none. Few, yeah. And and so when a man becomes authentic, when he becomes real and genuine, he starts to have these conversations and realize this is all around him. Everyone I know is struggling with this. And there has to be also that gnawing sense of guilt and shame that even if you think that you are smart, you are clever, and you have uh, engaged in a tremendous degree of, of, of uh, adeptness at um, being deceptive and have succeeded in keeping things, quote-unquote, from your wife, particularly for the believer, in the back of your mind, that still small voice reminds you that even though you've engaged in this behavior in secret, God 
sees it in open. In other words, God sees and knows it all. And that, that, that also has to weigh very heavily psychologically, spiritually, emotionally on a man who is trying to do a good job of keeping up the false pretenses when in reality there's this thing, this monkey that's on his back that he knows is there. That's right. And I would say that, uh, you know, we're not, we don't want to bash men here because, you know, over 80 percent of men who act in this cycle are men who themselves have been hurt, and they don't even know oftentimes that they've been hurt when they were small as a child. So they're trying to get along life just the best way that they know how. And so, yes, they, they, uh, they're um, impacting uh, their relationship with the Lord. And the real true uh, aspect of this is that the Holy Spirit cannot occupy the same space as evil and sexual brokenness. And therein lies the, the hinge pin because he cannot possibly hear the Holy Spirit the way God wants him to nor respond to the Holy Spirit. And therefore, he is not taking risks for Jesus. And that's where you live on the cutting edge of the miraculous is when you take a risk for Jesus. But you, that's the last thing in the, on your mind mm-hmm. when you're involved in this cycle. And so as he breaks this cycle, as he comes out of it, he starts to live this life that's absolutely incredible. And he can't even believe that it's so incredible. And why? Because he's he's reuniting with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's come back into his life. And the, the, one of my favorite promises from God is, when you come to me, man, uh, and, and you come to me and say you want help, God says, I'm not going to hold your sins against you. I'm going to forgive you, you confess it, and I'm going to restore you. Amen. And I don't know any other be- better news no, than that. There, there is certainly none. Let's pause on that point. When we come back, as much as we have delineated the the heavy taxing part of all of this, what the cycle looks like, the stages, the fact that there are so many jumping in points, not only in terms of behavior and age and experientially, but when we come back, we're going to dive deeper into the jumping out point. When you reach the rock bottom, when you're at that tired stage, how do you step off and out and then back into that healthy balanced, rewarding relationship. We'll get to that part of the equation as our conversation with Pastor Clay Allen continues. Information again on the web at avenue.works. That's avenue.works. Toll free at 877-326-7000. The latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael Bennett, what's going on out there on this Thursday? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Our visit today with Pastor Clay Allen, founder and president of Avenue, a sexual restoration ministry. You can get information again on the web at avenue.works. If that is a URL extension you're not familiar with, it's a relatively new one. So you think of the .com, .org, all that business. Well, this is .works. So avenue.works, W-O-R-K-S. We've been talking today about this deadly cycle of toxic sexuality, and even as we were commenting off the air, how that the impact, the inertia that this seems to have is um, occurring in modern culture to children of younger and younger ages, where at least from my recollection, and I've been around a couple of days since they invented dirt, uh, you know, you were, you were 13, 14, 15 years along before you woke up one day and the girls went from the icky category with cooties to who's that? Uh, we're seeing now, particularly with the onslaught of the media, the over-sexualization of children 
where oftentimes they're engaging in behaviors and thought patterns, as you suggested, off the air, as young as five and seven years old. These kids don't even have a chance to be kids anymore. No, they don't. And a big reason is because the dad is absent emotionally, spiritually, physically. And it's very sad. And we see this also generationally uh, happening where it's passed from one generation to another. Sometimes it's even skipped and it gets to some uh, a young person. So, yes, it's very real. And uh, as I was mentioning to you, if the church really knew what was going on with their young people, I think everyone would need to take a tranquilizer. Mm. It's that serious, that Is it fair to say in terms of percentiles, and I realize that even even the best of a George Barna-type research would be hard-pressed to come down to get the real true numbers because people so much tend to want to hide all of this. But from your experience, would it be fair to say that this is impacting one out of two families? Oh, at least. At least. and Maybe more. Maybe more. And the way to reverse this, from my experience, is embolden and strengthen the man and help him get out of this vortex and help him start to understand his role in God's eyes for his family or future family, for himself, starting with himself, and, and then with his wife, future wife, and, and embolden him, strengthen him, help him leave the emasculated world of the, the toxic sexuality which really weakens him, and help him start to embrace vigor and courage and, and strength and understanding how do you stand up for the right things in life. All right, let's talk about that process. Going back to our analogy earlier of the cyclone or the, uh, the whirlwind, um, normally in the destructive cycle, as we indicated, the deeper in you get, the faster the winds swirl, the more destructive they are. In most cases, anything that gets pulled into that vortex ends up being completely and utterly destroyed. How do you reach in and then pull someone out before all that happens? How do you help them get out of? I know you talked about them being at the bottom of the cycle in the tired mode. But let's start talking about from the hope-filled aspect of this. What are the steps? First step is an individual uh, asking for help. Nobody can force anybody to get help. We've all tried that, and it, you know we're all bald because of it. We pull our hair out, right? Uh, but a person who wants to get help can, uh, you know, there is going to be an intervention. I say whether they want it or not, <laughs> and and so the, I mean, God loves us too much to not have an intervention, right? So the question is, wouldn't you rather have control of how you get out of this thing? Uh, some control of it. I mean, we're all talking about control here, right? So why not do this in a confidential way, where you're not going to be shamed more. Uh, you ask for help. Get a hold of us or your church uh, starting an avenue confidential healing group. Uh, encourage them to start one or call us and get involved in one that we have. Uh, we have mobile groups, so you can be anywhere in the world and get involved in one of our confidential groups. Now, let me define what a group is. We have groups for men. We have uh, confidential groups for pastors who are struggling. And we have groups for their wives who have been betrayed in their relationship in their heart, who are scared out of their mind about what's happening with their husband. You can get involved in one of our confidential groups by phone or by computer. You'll start meeting with other people who have also covenanted to be confidential. And what is shared doesn't leave that group. And you start working with our guidebooks. Uh, The men's program is called Operation Destiny. The women's program is called The Healing Choice. 
These will give people the tools that they need to get out of the vortex to how do you, uh, and, and to stay out of it. Uh, it will give the woman answers as to uh, why am I not to blame for his problem? Because everyone's blaming her, right? Mm-hmm. And his problem came into his life long before uh, he ever met her. Uh, how do you trust him again? You know, these are great questions that we help you find answers to. I would imagine one of the big challenges here, one of the big roadblocks is as much as um, there is that sense and, and, and shame over how I got pulled in, how all this started, how I got yanked into the middle of the vortex. But isn't there even potentially a bigger roadblock in getting out, and that is the bigger fear of what will people think of me? I mean, uh, we're in a culture today where more and more it seems as if so-and-so's got an alcohol problem. Well, that's just an addictive behavior, and, you know, the body has certain chemical dependencies, and we kind of kind of dismiss it and write it off. But if if getting out means coming clean, being open, there is a degree of vulnerability there that we're asking guys to do about a level of their life that is as core to their being as you can probably get. So how do you help a guy get over that barrier? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, the first thing is to realize we never force anybody to do anything. Uh, It's between them and the Lord. But what we do want to suggest is that they leave shame. And the only way to leave shame is to step into grace, meaning that God is not standing there with the uh, punishment in mind when, he, when you come to him and ask him for help. So that's the very first thing is it's confidential. It's, we're not going to heap shame on anybody. And nobody has to confess anything to anybody if they don't want to. And what, they, what we do encourage them to do, however, is in their time, in their way, confess it to the Lord. And listen to what the Lord has to say. He'll provide a way for you to get cleaned up that you probably can't calculate right now. Because, you see, a guy in that mode is calculating without God in the formula. Mm -hmm. So he has to take the first step. And the first step is, hey, I want help. And then make the phone call. And don't procrastinate because you're not guaranteed your next breath. And how would you like to meet Jesus having done what you've done and not making an effort to walk towards him? Do we also need to bring into this equation the the balance of consequences? And by that, I mean I can see some guys saying, well, look, here's the deal, Clay, that you're forgetting, and that is to deal with this, to really come forward and come clean with me confessing to my wife about, you know, I've been seeing another woman, whatever, and that will ruin my marriage relationship. If she ever finds out, boy, that's just it. So I I can't handle those consequences. I can't run the risk of of losing my kids, losing my family, losing half of my wealth, whatever your, you know, whatever your bigger priority is. Um, That up against the consequences, the long-term consequences that impact the health of that marriage, the intimacy, the intimacy with God, um, all of those big issues. We know they're big, but sometimes the, the, the consequence that we see sooner is the one we fear the most, meaning if I know my taxes are due April the 15th and I don't get them and I you know, may or may not get them paid on time, well, April's a long ways off. But the cop at the end of the street who's got his radar gun pointed at me, I realize by the time I get the corner... I've been speeding. I'm going to get a ticket. Those consequences are going to be far more immediate, and therefore I fear that more than the IRS audit. Yeah, good, good question, and that's a – wow, that's a boatload of uh, thought there. Well, let me just first say, uh, again, calculating without God in the formula is very dangerous, and it's very deceptive. 
um, there's a high probability that a guy who thinks his wife doesn't know what he's into is sadly mistaken. Fooling himself, yeah. He, <laughs> she knows way more than he thinks. Way more. She not, may not be talking about it. She may be waiting and seeing, and she's wondering. Uh, she, if she gets a hold of my wife's material, she's going to have a lot of information to not only understand what's going on even further, but will help him know how to heal and how to be restored in a grace-filled way. Nobody wants to see a marriage blown apart. Nobody wants to see anybody destroyed financially, and certainly not as kids. But again, we we have... We, we take very initial uh, uh, steps where a man starts to draw closer to the Lord. And I, I want to go back to a, a verse that God promises us. It's so important. And, and it's, in, it's found in Ephesians 3.20 where God says, He will exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or hope or pray provide for us according to the power in us. And you see, he's calculating without the power in him to the degree that God wants him to have the power. He's not experiencing that. So the Holy that. Spirit really needs to be a very central figure in all of this. It he is the to central be top, figure. Top of mind it, it, all it, the way. It absolutely is because Jesus said he came for the sick, right? He didn't come for the healthy. <laughs> and, so, and so when he's saying this, he says, come to me and I'm going to make you new from the inside out. And he came for people doing wrong things. What are wrong things? Well, and I don't mean to offend anybody here, but if you are a man in this uh, cycle, obviously that's a wrong thing. But uh, And please hear me, ladies, I don't mean to offend you, but if if you suspect or know that your husband is doing something that's in this uh, cycle and you haven't done something about it yourself as far as giving it to the Lord and giving your secrets to the Lord and then coming out of that shame – uh, that's a wrong thing. And Jesus came to liberate you from that because you are not designed, you're not built, and this goes, goes for guys too, you're not built to live in shame. You're built to live in grace and truth. Now, let me ask you a question. Right along those lines, there are some women who suffer in silence yeah. because of the shame. Yeah. Yeah, my mother told me don't marry that louse, and I did anyway, and if this comes out, if this goes public – I'll be embarrassed. Or my husband is a very prominent member yeah. of church, business, society. And if yeah. this goes public, and so a lot of women keep it in for fear of shame. They keep yeah. it in because they're afraid that their husband's going to come in and say, oh, yes, I am having an affair. And guess what? Now that you've pushed the issue, I'm filing for divorce. Yeah. So there's a lot of fear in there. Yeah. How do women... And you're probably right. The vast majority of them, guys, be aware. If you don't think they know, yeah, they know. How do women approach this in a manner that allows them to begin addressing some of the, the, the shame issues, the guilt issues themselves, the blame game, um, and at the same token do it in a fashion that can help address the multiplicity of fears that they have, real or otherwise? That's an awesome question, Craig. Um, the, the best answer I can give right off the bat is if I were a woman in that position, I would run and get my wife's book. It's called The Healing Choice on our website, and then I would get involved in a women's group. In that women's group, everything is going to be kept confidential. Nobody will know anything about you being in a group, and what this is going to do is it's going to give her answers, the desperate answers she is seeking. What in the world do you do with anger? And fear like you bring up. It's going to give her answers as to what to do biblically and constructively. Why in the world is she not to blame for his problem? We'll 
talk about that and give her answers. And, and, and what in the world uh, are healthy boundaries? And how do you set them up? And how do you ascertain if and when it's safe to trust again? These are enormous mm. questions that my wife's material answers because she lived through it, has the experience of being transformed by Jesus, and is helping other women experience the same thing. And the big kahuna question, as far as I'm concerned, is what can she do irrespective of whether or not he gets help? This is enormous because she becomes emboldened by having Jesus become her first husband. And this is huge because all of a sudden she uh, grows a, a spine. She starts to become courageous and boldened in her walk with the Lord. And all of a sudden she transforms herself. And, and again, this is in spite of whether or not he gets help. And he's going to have a decision at some point to make, and that is whether or not he wants to get help. And I lived this for many, many years, so I understand what it is to to live two lives like that. And I think it's important that you, you've brought that out, Clay, because a lot of women are thinking, well, I just need to know what's the secret formula to get him to change, how I confront him, how do I sit him down, I go to my pastor, what do I do? We're going to change him and get this thing fixed, recognizing that the only person you have any control over whatsoever is you and you alone. Yeah. Yeah. And so to begin working on changing you, not that you would become a doormat and say, okay, well, he's going to do it, men are going to be men, none of that, but to allow the Holy Spirit begin working on you, emboldening you, helping heal you. How many women that deal with not just the issue of the sense of guilt, did I do something wrong? If I was prettier than I am or more attentive than I am, all of these sorts of things that they use to try and and, and reason through or find excuses, all in the effort of trying to desperately find the answer as to why. And then with that, and boy, this could be a two-hour show alone, once having faced this issue head on, the trust issue, not only trust back to can I trust myself with him? Can I trust him with me? Can I trust my own judgment? I thought I knew him. Clearly, I didn't. So I can't even trust myself. And for a lot of women, too, even going to the heart of their capacity to trust God, wondering, you know, Lord, we both stood before that altar before you, and we made certain vows, and I was trusting upon you to be that center at the top of the pyramid in our marriage relationship, and now I find out all of this is going on, I don't even know if I can trust God anymore. That's right. And, boy, that's That's intense. It is intense, and it's very accurate. Uh, Many women believe that. And, by the way, I didn't mean to offend anybody when I said uh, to grow a spine for women. What I meant by that is God, God has this lovely, awesome, tender way of restoring a woman's hope and healing uh, her, whether or not he gets help. And what you're talking about is right on the money with that. God's restoration of her comes first before him or the marriage or anything like that. She has to understand this. And vice versa, he can't fix the marriage until he starts to walk towards Jesus and say, I want restoration. When they start working individually uh, with their relationship with the Lord, then the marriage has a, a chance of, of healing. And, yes, trust is a massive issue. Um, and, and, you know, I think God gave us uh, 
free will. Uh, and uh, as a parent, we see our kid do something really stupid, and we wonder, you know, didn't I tell you not to do that, you know, a hundred times or whatever? And and here we are going to the Lord and saying, you know, uh, how can I trust you? And and his response to that is, I gave you and him free will. A moment and, ago when you used the line, uh, growing a spine, I thought, did he just say growing a spine I'm on sorry. the radio? But no, you know what, though? <laughs> when I heard it, here's what I heard. Yeah. That a lot of women through this become so abused, and this may be cyclical as well in a relational thing. We don't even have time to get into this, but uh, oftentimes this might be part of an abusive relationship that began with a parent that went into the first marriage that followed into the second marriage or whatever. And there is no sense of the ability to be able to stand up before God and even begin to trust God for help and intervention. There is so much guilt and shame that's associated here that they they walk in a stooped fashion, head down, embarrassed, and feeling as if they're trapped. So it's not grow a spine in the sense that it's all your fault and you could just, you know, tough up, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and deal with it. No. It's recognizing that God has given you tools and resources through his Holy Spirit and through his word that will allow you to stand up tall, to be able to look God in the face again, which is the first step, and to be able to find his help and his grace to get you and your family through all of this. That's right. God is, Jesus is the most loving person, the most trustworthy person, the most uh, incredibly restorative person in the universe. I want that to be heard by everyone listening to this. And women should also know, let me interrupt and say, women should also know that, and 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 I'm sure you've run into these cases uh, in a legion of times, sometimes they begin to believe the lie so long that they think they deserve this they think that's all there is for them this is their fault or their lot in life there's some deficiency in their personality their spirituality their family history whatever that they begin to think you know i'm a doormat and i guess this is uh, what i have to accept this is just who all i am that is not who god made you to be and if growing a spine means <laughs> shedding that very distorted viewpoint of yourself that right. comes straight from the pit of hell and and being able to say, you know what, God, I have to confess here. Here's my sin. I believe that lie. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. They are loved by Jesus. They are princesses. And they deserve a much better life. And so whether you're a man struggling in this cycle, whether you're a pastor struggling, whether you're a woman who's impacted ask for help. Call us. Get involved in one of our groups. Trust God and others that he puts in your life to get help. And then execute a, a time-proven plan. And that's what we've done. We, we put these plans together, these guidebooks for men and women and pastors. And if you haven't started an avenue group at your church, I would encourage you to do that as quickly as you can. And if you don't have a group at your church, call us, uh, uh, email us, uh, get on our website and contact us and get involved in one of our mobile groups. Lots of help, many resources, and all fully confidential. Go online to avenue.works. That's avenue.works. Or again, call toll-free 877-326-7000. That's 877-326-7000 or online at avenue.works. Our thanks to Pastor Clay Allen, founder and president of Avenue Ministries, for being with us today. You're welcome, Craig. Joy to be with you. We're a bit past 6 o'clock. Let's get caught up on some headline news and traffic. And then we've got Vern Tyler standing by with this week's installment of the Hosanna Parenting Project. Right now, this installment on traffic. Michael Bennett, what's going on out there?